Welcome to the Write It Down podcast with the 1513 Network. I'm Brooke Morata, bringing you one-on-one interviews to challenge, inspire, and encourage. Today on the line is NFL Hall of Famer, seven-time Pro Bowler, former Buffalo Bills and Washington Redskins wide receiver, Andre Reid. Andre was selected in the fourth round of the 1985 NFL Draft by the Buffalo Bills. With 951 career receptions and 88 total touchdowns, Andre Reid definitely left his mark on the league. Andre reminds us that we are responsible for what we've been given. You know what to do. Sit back, relax, and get your pens ready because this is Write It Down. Welcome back to the Write It Down podcast. Today we welcome NFL Hall of Famer, seven-time Pro Bowler, former Buffalo Bills and Washington Redskins wide receiver, Andre Reid. Andre, welcome to Write It Down. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's super exciting. So, I mean, after reaching the pinnacle of your career, you get inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2014. What motivates mm-hmm. you today to wake up and grind? That is a great question. I'm sure uh, a lot of the guys that you had on your podcast, that is a, a question that they uh, you should ask all the time uh, to go guys like that. Um, you know what? My, my football career is is – uh, you know, you can you can see it anywhere you want to. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what I rest on now is not only what I did on the field, but uh, mostly right now what I'm doing off the field. Um, what motivates me now is is giving back uh, to, uh, uh, to kids uh, like me. Um, I was a Boys and Girls Club kid growing up in, in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and uh, was taught a lot of good values, great values in, in the Boys and Girls Club system. Uh, not only uh, uh, do I hold those values very true right now, but I teach those to the, to the kids that I deal with now that I talk to about, uh, you know, about not only having an identity, mm. but having a, having a passion for what they want to do and not letting anybody stand in their way from what they want to do and their goals. Mm, and that's good. We, we, try to, we try to tell our kids uh, that you have to be goal-oriented, especially in this world now. Um, you know, kids now, they've got so many different avenues that they can go in. And with social media and what's going on in the country now, um, with all the things that are going on that are are, are not, I wouldn't say, it's just a big factor in how people think and how people are going about their business and how they do things. And we got to get the kids early. Yeah. And we got to get their minds, we got to get their minds moving in the right direction of, of not only being productive, but uh, doing the right things at the right time, making the right decisions, and um, you know, not not looking back, always going forward. And you know, my dad always told me that: don't ever look back in the past. Uh, you can look at it to a certain point, but realize there's always room room for improvement and uh, to be a better person, a better human being, which is the same thing. But it is uh, it's very paramount that these kids nowadays. Um, get in the right situations with the right people to be successful in life. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and you mentioned your dad. Uh, describe your relationship with your father. I know he played a huge role in your life and implementing yeah. disciplines in, into your life, which ultimately shaped who you were in the league. So what was um, what was your relationship like with your dad? Uh, I had a pretty good relationship with my dad. I, I grew up in a pretty volatile situation uh in my household with, with two brothers and a sister, uh, an interracial family, you know, in the mid seventies, uh, it was very, very different. Uh, as a young kid, I really relied on, 
uh, other people uh, and being around other kids and other kids of like me uh, to really kind of um, you know let me look at things from the outside in and mm-hmm. the inside out. So um, my dad was a great motivator. Um, he taught me a lot of things about life. He taught me um, to be tough, and that was really my mantra in the league. Is I was a, a, a tough receiver, and I use that to my advantage. There's no doubt about it. And that's how I go through life today. Is if things get bad or things don't get go the way I I think they should go, I, I got to use that what my dad taught me. And we all, you know, think that you know things that our parents told us. Um, these are things that really are a foundation. Yeah. And again, the, the Boys and Girls Club was part of that foundation of who I am today uh, growing up. Uh, and, um, you know, there was times where it wasn't, wasn't so good in my household. Mm-hmm. But I knew my dad always wanted the best for me. He wanted me to succeed in whatever I did. He was, he was there most of the time. Sometimes he wasn't there. And uh, I always knew he had great intentions for me and my brothers, two brothers and my sister, and, you know, even though we were in a bad situation a lot of times, we all turned out right because of our dad and what he taught us. Yeah. And having the presence of a father, I think, is, is super important. Definitely. Um, no doubt about it. Yes. Especially kids, nowadays. Kids father. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so was football always the dream? Like, were you athletically inclined? Did your dad push you or your mom push you towards football? Or was that just something that you were naturally good at? So you, you had coaches come alongside? Yeah, I just, I was gravitated to it. I always, you know, and it, I think I learned my competitive spirit from my two brothers. We always would play in the yard and we always would go out to the park and we'd always take on anybody else. Um, and, you know, I developed that competitive nature from them and always being in those kind of situations. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my, the support of my family, uh, is, especially as I got older and I developed and grew, um, was very eminent because of when I was a kid and, and the times that we played together and we competed against each other and other kids. Um, it really, you know, taught me about discipline. It taught me about uh, never quitting. It taught me about uh, being tough. All the things that, as an athlete, you know, some of the, these are things that you need to succeed. Um, I was taught like that from age six all the way up to, you know, the last that I, you know, played in the NFL, and I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. I mean, and then fast forward to your, your college life, going to Cutstown. Is it Cutstown? Is that how you pronounce it with that Z in there? Cutstown. They, they always get wrong. Cutstown. Cutstown University. Yes. So you go there. Yeah. It's a D2 school. Did you ever think the big leagues was an option for you? Well, coming out of high school, I just, you know, my whole thing, my my parents wanted me to, to go to college. I was a first-generation college kid, you know, my family. And they wanted me to go to college because they didn't go to college. My dad dropped out of high school in, eight, in 10th grade. Um, my mom finished high school but went right into the workforce. She didn't go to college because, you know, they didn't have the money to go to college. They didn't they didn't have the, the background to go to college to a certain point. And for me to go to college was like a big step for them and my brother to go to college and my other brother to go to college. My sister went to college for a little while. So that, uh, that was really important to them. Um, I was a very young 17 year old kid graduating from high school. Um, I got offers, you know, cause of my football and my, uh, my athletic ability to go to, uh, 
some bigger schools, but I was very young in the mind. Mm-hmm. And I think I could have got lost, you know, in the shuffle if yeah. I went to a big school. And I was pretty much of a homebody. I really liked to stay around the house. And I was, you know, I wasn't a mama's boy, but I kind of was. And, you know, I'm going to publicly say that. <laughs> there's a lot of kids. <laughs> there's a lot of guys now that are still mama's boys. Yep. So, uh, and I really, the, the family dynamic was really important to me. And I wanted to stay around the house and be close to the family. And I picked a school, you know, 40 minutes away from my hometown that I could always go home if I wanted to. Yeah. And um, it wasn't a big school, it was D2 school. And if you look at now, there's a lot of kids in the, in the National Football League now that are from Division Two schools. So uh, it was, uh, you know, pretty, very, very, I wouldn't say it was, it was, it was easy to go there. And like, like I said, it was 15, it was 40 yeah. minutes from my house. And uh, I really, really uh, was, you know, it was probably the best choice for me to go to yeah. a school like that. And I really was embraced by the coaching staff, by everybody there at school. And, uh, you know, fit in pretty good after a while, and after my freshman year. And by the time I was a senior, you know, I was uh, um, pretty highly touted as a, as, a, as a receiver coming out of college. So yeah. I was very, very excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and then draft day comes around in 1985. You know, one round goes by, then two, then three, and finally the fourth comes around. Like, what are your thoughts on draft day of, like, okay, it's the fourth round. What's going on? Like, am I in? Right. Yeah, I was I was projected to go through from rounds three through six, mm-hmm. and, and, and back then it was 12 rounds, not seven like there is now. Okay. So in 12 rounds, it was like uh, 300 and – almost 400 players being drafted wow. in, in 12 rounds back in 1985. And uh, just to get drafted was, you know, the biggest accomplishment for me, period. Because as a 17-year-old coming out of high school, I, I never thought that I'd be drafted in anything, mm-hmm. let alone be drafted, you know, to play in, in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was uh, very exciting. Um, you know, exciting for my family, exciting for me. And... Um, Obviously, there was a lot of work to be done, you know, coming from a small school because they really didn't know too much about me. And, um, you know, I'd have to say going to training camp my first year, I really was embraced by, you know, a couple of players that really saw talent uh, in me and wanted me to succeed, uh, like Jerry Butler and, and uh, you know, a lot of former players that I played with really um, sat me down and talked to me about, hey, if you want to stay in this league, this is what you have to do. And, you know, I really, really embraced that and, uh, you know, worked. And I think uh, that was probably one of my main, main attributes is, is just working hard and never settling for, for being mediocre. Yeah. And I wanted, to be the, I wanted to be the best. And if it, if whatever it took, I was going to try to do it. And I think, uh, um, you know, that uh, – had a lot to do with, you know, former players and coaches and that saw talent. But then again, I had to see that talent in myself, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and if you could describe the Buffalo Bills during that time in one word, what would it be? Uh, building. Mm. Um, they were they were like a, they were like a, uh, a skyscraper just starting from the bottom. And, you know, the, we had to get the foundation first and then we had to put the sides up and make sure everything was sturdy. And then 
Um, you know, once we did that, we had to get the middle of the building, um, put some, some stuff in there to make it really sturdy. And then at the top, it was just a matter of, you know, getting the right players um, to, to, to get to the top. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we, uh, you know, Bruce Smith was drafted my, my, uh, my class, the first pick in 1985. Uh, and then, you know, we went through a couple, couple hard seasons. Um, uh, first, uh, first two or three years, you know, I think we won six games in three years. Dang. So we were, we were pretty, you know, not a bad football team. We just didn't have the right pieces in the right places at that time. Mm-hmm. But we hired, they hired Marv Levy in 1986 um, as a coach. Um, that changed a lot. Um, we drafted Thurman Thomas in 1988 and uh, got Cornelius Bennett in the trade in 1989. And then the list goes on and on and on. And that's what happened. Yeah, you had some solid players. And, I mean, speaking of solid yeah. players, what was your relationship like with Jim Kelly? You know, it was like any receiver-quarterback relationship. You know, we, we, we knew that we needed each other every week on, on Sundays. And not everything, you know, went right. And we argued a little bit, but the one thing that we did know that, you know, as far as far as winning goes, we had to be on the same page, and we had to play uh, individually, but we had to play together mm-hmm. uh, more than anything. And I think you lead by example, and Jim was the best leader the Buffalo Bills ever had, and as far as a quarterback, uh, and then you put that with Marv Levy as a great coach and. And what he's done, uh, happy birthday, Marv. Marv's birthday was yesterday. He's 95 yesterday. So wow. He, yeah, so his birthday was yesterday. And I think uh, we all believed in each other. And um, I think we all wanted the individual accolades. But I think if we, if one person got the accolade, we all won. And uh, it, it's hard to put all those eagles together and make it work. Mm-hmm. But you don't go to four straight Super Bowls without having your ego kind of a little bit, a uh, little bit level at times. Yeah, and uh, something that I, I talked with Bruce Smith about a little bit was the name that you guys inherited of the Bickering Bills, and yeah. just just kind of like so. What was your thoughts when you inherited that nickname? Was it just something that the media just put out there, or were you like, no, this is about right? I, I think so. I, I think it was. I mean. I think we were such a good team and people just wanted to label us, try to get something on us. Yeah. And if, if you look at sports in general, there's bickering going around all the time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause you weren't, you're not, you're not going to be good if you don't bicker mm-hmm. and you don't, you don't talk about things and you don't argue. Mm-hmm. Um, we expected each, we, we expected a lot out of each other. And when maybe one wasn't pulling the weight that the other was, um, you know, we talked about it and, and we got into heated battles about it, but that equals wins too. Yeah. Well, and there, there's a lot, there's a big difference between bickering and not winning than right. bickering and winning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah. I also think like what you're describing is kind of, 
maybe drama is too heavy of a word, but the drama between like athletes, I think is necessary to have that competitive edge so that you can continue to propel forward. But nowadays I feel like the drama centered around not even just the NFL, but sports in general is a lot about who you are off the field or off of the court. Do you think that athletes are putting themselves in a disadvantage for being a little too vocal with that stuff? Well, the social media platform opens it up for that. And I think uh, just by what's going on in the country now, most people are going to listen to athletes. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to listen to the Steph Currys and the LeBrons and all the big, big name people, the Tom Brady's, the Aaron Wright. They're going to listen to all the big names in their specific sports to see what they got to say about something. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times it helps. But in other situations, being vocal, especially on a social media platform where everybody can see it, you you got to be very careful. And in 1985, when I came in the league, there was, there was no such thing as a social media platform. Right. You know, you can say things, but it might be in the paper, but how many people are reading the paper? You don't know. Right. There's a lot of people on social media, and, and it's seen by everybody. So... That's the thing now these players nowadays in every sport have to be pretty careful about not only what they say, but what they're relaying and what they're saying. Yeah. And they sometimes they say things and maybe they don't mean that, but they have to they gotta be really careful because then they have to go back and clean it up. Yeah. So, you know, in eight eighty five you didn't have to clean too many things up. No. And I'm sure you're yeah. not envious of that because I, I'm sure as heck I'm not that I, my voice is not as loud as that because I, I can't imagine. I mean, the comments that people get and then the articles that are written about them. I mean, you know, this just being in the league is like you, it, those articles and those things published about you can really stain your reputation. And then it's just exactly. you against that. So it's almost better. Not not necessarily, again, this is just my opinion, but it, it's not necessarily good to be completely silent. But sometimes silence and just putting your head down and going to work is a little bit better, especially because everybody has yeah. opinion nowadays. That's a, and you, you hit the nail on the head, the word opinion. Mm-hmm. It's just an opinion. And people take opinions and construe them any way they want to. And whether they know you or not, really what comes out of your mouth, that's the first thing an average person is going to think about, what you said and how you relay it. Mm-hmm. How, how you, the way you say it and your intentions might be different. Yeah. But most people kind of, especially athletes, because they are on a platform, a lot of people don't look at it that way. Mm. You know, they say, well, this guy's making this kind of money. What is he saying that for? Mm-hmm. Uh Maybe it's just his opinion. I mean, that's, you know, I think, you know, in this country, we got a right to say what we want, right? Right. I think so. You yeah. know, we got, we, I mean, right now, what's going on in Fifth Amendment rights with everything that's going on, people wear masks and don't want to wear them, and uh, people are getting shot down for all that kind of stuff. So I think everything you say nowadays is going to have either a negative or positive connotation to it. Regardless of who you are, yeah. And as an athlete, as an athlete, I think it's you know it's blown over 
it's kind of overblown a lot because you are in the spotlight and you're you're in the public eye. Yeah. And you're in the public eye, but we're also in weird times with COVID where you're not actually playing your sport. So everybody yeah. is just consuming, consuming, consuming uh, Twitter posts, not like highlights exactly. or like what they did in the game. It's like, oh, what does this person have to say about masks? It's not, right. what did this person do on the field last weekend? And so the conversation yeah. that's being fostered right now on social media is there's no good really coming from it. It's just a bunch of opinions about something, which is, exactly. is dangerous. And, and, and I think really when, when all this is said and done and we get back to some normalcy mm-hmm. uh, with sports, um, I think this is all going to dissipate because yeah. then people are be concentrating on you know, going to going to games, you know, going to football games, going to basketball games. And they're not going to have to a certain point, no time to be sitting down on their computer or on their phones. And, oh, he said this. Let me find out what he's talking about. I mean, most people just want to see sports. Yeah. And like, they want to they want to watch games and get back to that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yep. We're going to take a quick break from our show to discuss Patreon. Patreon is a secure site that allows creators to make albums, videos, and podcasts like the one you're listening to now. So if you enjoy Write It Down, please head over to our website, xvxiii.com or spell out 1513.com in your browser. Click on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and show your support. Write It Down is made possible by the 1513 Network, so please send over your love, your support for the other shows as well. If not, just stick with Write It Down because I'm the coolest, the realest, the illest. Anyways, back to the show. Due to COVID right now, um, it's the NFL Hall of Fame week. It should be at least, but, you know, COVID postponed it. So guys are not going to experience their induction like you did. Can you revisit right. that time for me? What was induction day like for you? Um, let me tell you, emotional, because um, it took it, it, it was nine years in the waiting. And the great thing about that is, uh, as when you get that call um, to become one of the greatest and be in a fraternity that's pretty exclusive, mm-hmm. um, you forget about all that. And... I remember my first year there uh, going to the Merlin Olsen luncheon. Um, it's it's during enshrinement week. Um, matter of fact, we'd be there right now, definitely, like you said. Um, and all the new inductees were all in a room. Nobody gets in. There's there's no media. It's just all gold jackets. All about a hundred gold jackets are in this room, and you get to just talk about whatever you want to talk about. You know, past guys, past uh, in Chinese. Uh, Willie Nair is the uh, is the moderator of it, and he gives the floor to people that want to speak about things, about what's on their mind, about not only the hall, but about whatever sports and general and anything. And the new inductees cannot say anything. You don't. You can't speak. You can't get up and talk. You can't utter a word. You just gotta listen. And I realized, uh, not only just from my speech. Um, what it meant, but to be in that room where every single football player on the planet would love to be in that room mm. because you are the best of the best, and there's only 338 guys, 181 living that are in that room wow. on the planet. And I really had to put that in perspective 
maybe not my first year, but now as the years are going on, six years now, those numbers really become, they kind of shoot out at you a little bit more bolder than they did before. Mm. And you realize that some of the guys that you watched, as a, as a high school guy, I watched, you know, Lynn Swan, and I watched John Stallworth, um, you know, watching uh, all the greats of the game, Tony Dorsett and Earl Campbell. I mean, these are guys that I, Franco Harris, that I was a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I love the Steelers. But for me to be in the same room with them, to have a jacket, a ring, and a bust in the same room with those guys, Incredible. That, uh, that really put it in perspective for me. But uh, it was a tremendous day. Uh, my family was there. Um, it, it was really pretty close to my kids being born. You know, my kids being born is number one for sure. But professionally, there's nothing higher than that. Wow. And and it's it's sad that the guy. I mean, I know they'll probably make efforts to make it up to them, but the guys this year are not going to have that, and they deserve to have yeah. that. You know, yeah. Because that's a big that's a big moment and in your at the ending of your career and um we yeah. had uh david baker on the show was david baker the one that called you and told you yeah the year yes okay because that was um, his first year right after right after my year they started doing the knock on the door okay okay but you got the so call got from call. him yeah yeah wow that's incredible and and like you said this because of the covid you know the guys that were supposed to be inducted this weekend um you know, they waited a long time, too. Yeah. And they got to wait till next year. And then you figure next, uh, when the class is uh, uh, set on in February after the Super Bowl this year, before the Super Bowl, that's five more guys. And then the centennial class is 15 guys. So the Hall of Fame is is, is got its work cut out mm-hmm. on inducting 20 guys, or, yeah, 20 guys come next year. And I don't know how they're going to do it. I'm sure David Baker has a plan. He's going to oh, do yeah. something. They're going to do something. But uh, uh, do I, I feel bad for the guys that have been waiting and, um, you know, to get their just due. But I'm sure um, a lot of them are just like, well, I waited this long. Not, why not wait another year? Right. <laughs> so, exactly. Exactly. And, and yeah. you, can, you can attest to the, it's worth the wait. Because now you're six years out, and you're like, "Oh wow, this was this was worth it." I mean, and speaking of gold jackets, can you revisit the story of you losing your jacket? What's what's that? What happened with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, put it this way: I didn't lose it. Yeah, I kind of. <laughs> it's not. I didn't lose it. I left it. You left put it that it. way. Left, I left your it. gold jacket. If people want to say you lost it. Okay, you lost it. Okay. No, I left it. So I was uh, I was traveling back home to visit my mom and my brother, my two brothers and my sister from from here in San Diego, and um, I had to do an event there. Uh, uh, actually, I think it was a, uh, a Heart of a Hall of Famer event there at, at my high school uh, in in Allentown, and I got to the airport in Philadelphia. My brother was picking me up, and I had a bag and a little suitcase, and I had my jacket you know, in its, in its, uh, little case there, if you want to call it. And I was standing there waiting for him to come and pick me up. And for some reason I sat, I, I put down my jacket and I don't know, maybe I was excited or maybe I had altitude or something. I don't know what the problem was, but 
I get in the car, I got my suitcases and my bag, and we were like maybe halfway, not a little, little less than halfway to my house, my mom's house. And I was like, where's my jacket? Where, where's my Hall of Fame jacket? I had left it on the sidewalk at the airport. You left it, not lost it, to clarify. Not lost it, left it there. <laughs> and a lot of times I attribute things to getting hit in the head a lot. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, 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 of course. But, so here's the thing. This is the, the, the funny thing about it is, well, not funny, but I, I was like, oh, my gosh. So I called the police there at the airport and said I, I left I left a, a garment bag, a black garment bag with a Hall of Fame emblem on it, on the sidewalk in front of the gate, in front of the, uh, you know, outside the uh, get picked up. And I was just irate. I was, oh, man, I, it was, it was, mm. my heart dropped. Your mind is right now. My my heart yeah. sunk. Yeah. My heart dropped. And I said, well, somebody got that, whatever. Or maybe somebody who's nice picked it up and took it inside and gave it to the, you know, to airport security or whatever. So the thing is that I just had gotten out the, I just got it out the cleaners. So my name, number, and everything was on the tag. So I get a call and it's the airport security police. And they were like, is this Andre Reed? And I go, yes. And he goes, well, this is the airport police here at the Philadelphia International Airport. And we picked up your garment back because right away, you know, they're thinking it could be a bomb or something. They don't know. Yeah. And, oh, man, I was just so elated that they got it. And uh, a friend of uh, my brother's was coming down uh, to visit him. And he, I had to give them permission for him to get it for me. So he got it for me and he brought it down. So that was, I was, uh, that was a godsend there. Uh, I would say, praise God for that. Yeah. Crisis averted. I mean, this yeah, is not so, like your toothbrush that you forgot. This is like no, something no, you waited for. Your body wash, <laughs> nothing like that. I could have, I could have got it. I could have went to CVS and got that. I can't go to CVS and get another gold jacket. Wow, wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm so happy yeah. that they did their due diligence and called you because yes, the- and, it, and it's good they had them. You know, again, they had all my information on that on that uh, dry cleaning slip that was on the jacket. Andre, dang that my heart is still racing, but I'm glad I know the end of the story. You got you got it back. <laughs> Crisis averted. Got it back. You're fine. Yeah. Um, now, needless to say, now I got my jacket in a in a pretty safe place right now. Yeah. So it's not going anywhere until I have to wear it again. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Been, which would have been this year? I mean, oh, this weekend. I know it's crazy that th- it would have been this week. Um, I'm really bummed. Yeah. For, for the guys that aren't able to go this week, um, but I definitely think they're yes. going to probably outdo themselves next year. Um, I think so. It. I think so. Yeah. Yes. What, cool. what encouragement would you give people who are maybe looking at their life, their first round of life, second round, three rounds go by, uh-huh. um, who haven't quite reached their fourth round pick, so to speak? Like, what would you encourage people who are just kind of seeing life go by and they haven't had their big moment? I mean, you had to wait to get drafted. You had to wait to get into right. the Hall of Fame. There were a lot of things that you had to wait for and grind for. So what would you say right. to those that are that are kind of in that season of life? Um, 
You know, there's there's a saying that I I really like, and, and it's I think it's pretty popular. You know, so much is given, much is expected. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love that one. But as far as people that are just, you know, life is a grind, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Some of our some of our most influential, successful people in this world have had to grind at some point, and maybe things weren't going their way to get to where they're at. And I think. Um, you know, this generation uh, of, of entitlement to some kids and, and you know, just I feel I deserve this. But it, it's all about working. You know, honest day's work is not going to hurt anybody. And work, work working hard works. Mm. And I think uh, you're going to go through these, these, these times in your life where you think the whole world is against you and things aren't going for you. Um you just got to keep grinding at it, keep believing. Um, a lot of prayer, you know, prayer works. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's really important to have a relationship with 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 uh, with God and with Jesus. Yep, it's really important because when things are are when you feel you're at your lowest, that's you know really who you turn to. And mm-hmm. you know if you don't get, if you don't ask, you don't get. Yep, and you got to ask. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really important that that. That happens. I know. Um, four years ago, in 2017, I was um, Robert Kraft took uh, 16 Hall of Famers to Israel, and I was one of the um, players to be asked to go. And I, I think it was uh, it was meant to be for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to go to the Holy Land and see uh, all these different uh, you know sites of where Jesus walked and all this other stuff. It was a game changer for me because these are the things you read in Bible study when you were a little kid, mm-hmm. uh, when your mom and dad were upstairs in church and to see that up close and being, being that presence really, you know, has a way of changing you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a basis on my life now. And, you know, with my kids, the kids that I mentor with the boys and girls clubs, kids that I talk to a lot and, uh, do a lot of things with, it's really important to, for them to realize that I'm just a human being just like them. And, uh, you know, sometimes you have to talk to a higher God um, to uh, to feel good about yourself and know that things are going to be okay. Mm. So, you know, prayers, prayers, right. And, and again, believing in yourself and never quitting and uh, being the best representative of yourself you can be. Amen. I saw that, um, that production, I believe Katie Nolan yeah. was the interviewer. For that, Katie Nolan, yeah, 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 and I remember watching that and just seeing, you know, it was they even did footage of you guys in Robert Kraft's jet and just the whole like field dedication and you guys like working with the kids there in Israel, but then you guys literally walking where Jesus walked and um, you know in the Dead Sea and all those different things, and I can imagine. Yeah. That was just such, it makes your faith come to life. Like, I really want to go yes. because I yes. I can't even imagine that. And the thing is, when I was when I was a little kid, if you would have gave me a book that said, hey, I'm going to map out the next 30 years of your life, 40 years of your life. But towards the end, there's going to be a time where you're actually going to visit Israel and go to the Holy Land. And I would have been like, well, I don't know if that... Matter of fact, I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but maybe some of the stuff before that might happen. Mm-hmm. But going to Israel, 
that that is that was a big stretch, and, and to be there uh, because of the game of football. The game of football took me there. Mm-hmm. The game of football, a kids' game, took me there. Mm. Was your, so that that put it in perspective? Did you did you always have a walk with God, or did that come later in life? I, I did, but I think it was very superficial, mm-hmm. and uh, it wasn't until you know that time is when it really. Um, you know, really hit home. And it really got me thinking that, um, you know, all the things that go on in life, um, you got to change them. And you got to, uh, um, you know, do what's do what's right. You got to walk, you got to walk in the steps that he walked and, um, and be a better person and be more compassionate and do all that kind of stuff. Because as athletes to a certain point, Let's face it. Most people on the outside looking in think we're all me people. Mm-hmm. We're all about us. How can I? We're all I. There's no. There's no we. It's all about I. Right. And um, that really tells you that it isn't all about you. <laughs> yeah. it, it's not even close. It's not even close to you. Mm. And it's, it's, it's all about him. Yep. That's what that's about. It's about him, yeah. not you. Yeah. And and when you make it about him, you know, he definitely stirs in your heart to make it about others. And I think that's something that I've noticed in your story is you really try to to help others. And, and you do that yeah. um, with your foundation. Um, so can you kind of yeah. give a little snapshot of Reed with Reed 83? What what do you do with that foundation? Well, I, I started my foundation, the Andre Reed Foundation, about eight years ago. Uh, and then. Um, from there, um, I met this wonderful girl. She's very godly. She's an awesome woman. Um, she's my girlfriend now. Oh, wow. And she really changed my thoughts and ways in a lot of things. And now, to say that I was not an egotistical, me, me guy, I, I'd be lying to you. Because I was. Mm. And she has changed me in a lot of different ways to not only think about, you know, what's ahead, but, you know, some of the things that I did, you know, I got to be held accountable for. Mm-hmm. And, and you got to take accountability in everything you do, whether it's good or bad. And, uh, you know, I feel, you know, I'm not there yet. I'm far from it, but I know I'm on the right track. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, you know, my foundation is, uh, the Read with Read 83 program um, is in all is in boys and girls clubs all over the country, awesome. and we use the game of football to inspire kids that reading is really, really important, and it is a vital part of not only knowledge and getting up in the world, but becoming anybody you want to be. And uh, that's our basis for our program is to encourage these kids that. Uh, Knowledge is power. Bottom line, knowledge is power. And, and reading books and getting that knowledge from books is, uh, is very paramount to being anything you want to be. Yeah. And uh, that's really our basis when we go into boys and girls clubs. And we have a program where they have to read books. Their books are tracked by the people at the clubs. And uh, they have a month or two months to read as many books as they can. And... The, people, the kids that read the most books get to go to a football game 
and get the VIP treatment for a whole day at a game. Wow. That's really cool. That's a motivator for sure. Yes. And guess what? Girls win too. Love it. (laughs) Love it. Sign me up. If girls if girls read more books than the guys, they get to go to the game. Yeah, they better. They probably and they get on the si- they get on the sideline before the game. They get on they go to pregame. They get on the sideline. They they view you know their best player, their their favorite players. I call some of the players over to meet them and say, hey, they they got the they uh, won this because they read books and and the players are just great. All the players over the years, the last four or five years that I've met and talked to are really, really great with the kids when they meet them and they congratulate them. And that's, you know, when I was seven, eight years old, again, I never would have thought that would happen to me. So that's mm. that's the incentive we give them every year. That's awesome. And you're definitely, yeah. you're, you're paying it back for, for all those times people were there for you and believing in you and pushing you in your little small town of Allentown, Pennsylvania. So that's really cool yep. how you're able in the latter half of your life give back to these kids um and before i let you go and before we get to our write it down at the end of the show i have some fun little rapid fire questions for you just a few of them um okay but the first one is i've noticed that you've done some acting you're in hawaii 50 macgyver magnum pi so what's more nerve-wracking yes. memorizing lines for a tv show or playing in the super bowl memorizing lines really yeah, that is, I tell you, that was such a great experience. Uh, I'm actually uh, reading a script for something right now. Um, so I might be on something else, but it's 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 definitely different than coming through the tunnel uh, on a Sunday at 1 o'clock. Yeah. So I'm, pretty, I'm pretty prepared for that. <laughs> but when you have a bunch of cameras in your face to a certain point and you got to hit those lines and uh, – you know, there's going to be a lot of even the best of them have to do different, you know, multiple takes. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's different than you know running a, uh, a crossing route and catching a ball because I'm used to that. Yeah, that's your natural so, ability. Uh, How, are that's you? My, a, that's what I do now. Are you like a lot of takes type of guy? Or are you that person? Like, I'm so sorry. Like, can we do this again? Is that you? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> and think about. Oh yeah, I'm like yo, that wasn't no, nah, that wasn't right. I, I missed that. <laughs> That was but the thing about that is, I think, uh, you know, through when I did those things and, and the, the producer of the show and uh, they were very patient with me because they know, you know, hey, this guy, he's he's, he's, a, he's, an, he's an athlete. Yeah. And uh, they were very patient with me, but um, it all turned out well. And, uh, you know, I got a lot of good reviews from even some actor guys that I know. That's cool. And uh, so that's uh, when when another guy that that's what he does for a living to a certain point says, "Yo, you, that was pretty good, man. That was pretty good." Then then I'm okay. Yeah, you're like I'm fine. I'm validated. I can keep going. I'm not that bad. I'm at validated. This. I got my SAG card. I'm validated. So I love there you that. Go. I love that. Yeah. Okay, next one. Would you rather spend three consecutive days in Antarctica or three consecutive days in the Sahara Desert? Heat or cold? Oh, man. This, this oh. is telling. I, I might have to go with, I might have to go with the Sahara. Really? I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about, even though I played in cold in Buffalo and it was, you know, because I was running around, but 
I don't I don't know about Antarctica. I know that. I, I don't know. That would hit different. That, I'd have to say that doesn't that doesn't sound too. <laughs> that doesn't sound too. I'd rather be. I'd rather be hot than cold, to tell you the truth. Cold okay. is just no. Yeah. No. no, I agree with you on that. Okay, last one before yeah. we get to our write it down. If you're All at right. a cookout, do you go for the hot dog or the hamburger? I'm going hamburger. Hamburger. Okay. What do you like on your hamburger? You know, I mean, you know what I mean? Hot dogs, I ate my life. When I was a little kid, it was <laughs> bam. Picnics, it was just hot dogs and hamburgers yeah. all the time. And I was, I was more of a hamburger guy. Yeah. I, I think I was the same. Like, when I was a kid, I always went for the hot dog. I don't know. I just as a kid, that's what you want. And then when you get older, you're like, you know what? I feel very prestigious. I'll go yeah. for a hamburger. The only time the only time now I'll eat a hot dog is if I'm playing golf at the turn. And, yeah, just give me a hot dog. I mean, uh-huh. that's, that's the only time. It's not like I have hot dogs at the house here. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Well, this is a little off script because of what you just said. Are you a golf guy, too? Yes. Uh, okay. I'm telling you, every Hall of Famer I've talked to, that golf is y'all's thing. That is your new, your new locker room. Is is the golf course? Yes, it is. It's, it's very competitive, uh, and you can't rely on your teammate to a certain point unless you're playing like a a, a match or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's all about you. It's all about you. When you hit a shot, you you hit that shot. Your friend didn't hit it. Uh, so. Oh that that that's the great thing about it, and I think it's the best as far as former athletes go, because it is a it's it's a hard game. I mean, I watch the PGA Tour; these guys are so good. Yeah, uh, and we want to be good too. And it's it's such a hard game that we we take it even more seriously than maybe we did football because we want to be good at it. <laughs> no, it it is very serious. That's what I hear from. Um, your boy Bruce Smith and like Marcus Allen. It's like that's yeah. their that's their thing. And now I feel like I need to learn golf a little bit so I can understand you guys yeah. a little bit better if I'm gonna have you on the show. But I am very golf challenged, so to speak. It is not yeah. a pretty sight with me in a golf club. So I respect Yeah, it's that. it's a great it's a great release to a certain point. Very I mean, some days you have it, some days you don't. And and I've come to to grips with that, I need to play more. Um, I just played up in the Tahoe event um, up there uh, a couple weeks ago. Okay, yeah. Uh, that was that was the first time I played in it. I wanted my my golf game to be somewhat good to a certain point because I didn't want to go out there and just hit it everywhere. Um, so I finished in the middle of the pack for okay. the first time. So next year, I, I hope to be better. I'm going to practice a little bit more, and um, so. Um, the game is very, very, uh, it's, there's not even a word for the game, you know? Mm-hmm. It really isn't because you, you try to figure it out, and when you think you have to figure out, the next time you play, it says you, you don't have a figure. You don't have a figure. Out. Yeah, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Yeah. And you are a jack of all trades, NFL Hall of Famer. You're a golfer. You're an actor. I mean, the list goes on and on, Andre. Um, but before <laughs> before I let you go, this is the point of the show where I ask each guest to give a nugget of wisdom to our audience, something to write down. So, Andre yeah. Reed, what is your write it down? Um, what I said earlier, I said, you know, too much is given, much is expected. Yeah. And um, that is a... Uh, saying that I think a lot of people use, especially influencers and guys that are in sports that are very, uh, very well noticed, um, because you have been given a lot 
Um, and there's a, there's there's expected a lot from you too. Um, and that is a, uh, uh, a great saying. Um, I, the other day, matter of fact, a couple of days ago, I really like to listen to quotes from different, uh, people, you know, actors and mm-hmm. entertainers and sports guys. And, and Denzel Washington has, has a great thing on, on, uh, social media about, um, be a better version of yourself and, Whatever you think you are, be better and, and trust in what you're doing uh, and always move forward. Don't ever look back, like I said earlier, because uh, all the things you've done behind you um, probably have been done before. Mm. And you want to start you want to start fresh and, and kind of blaze your own path, your own path. Uh, so any of the kids that are listening, blaze your own path, blaze your and, own path. and don't let anybody. Yeah, don't let anybody tell you that you can't do anything because when you do they'll be the those be the ones in line who want to talk to you and ask you how you did it mm-hmm. mm. and well, they want to take notes on you so um that's uh that's a that's a great thing is is too much is given much is expected yeah i love it that's a good word write it down andre reed thank you so much for joining us today on the show i appreciate it thanks a lot and uh, thanks for having me and and uh, you're doing a great job, and it's great that you get all these guys uh, to tell their stories a little bit and tell their philosophies about things because most people see football players and athletes on TV and they really don't know them. Yeah, that's true. And I, and I thank you for saying that because I definitely love getting to know the person behind the player. I think that you guys all have amazing, unique stories that deserve to be told, and you, what you are off the field uh, transcends what you were on the field. So I really yes. appreciate that. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. You got it. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Write It Down podcast. This podcast is a part of the 1513 Network. You can catch a variety of shows on their website, 1513.com. If you enjoy listening to Write It Down, please subscribe, share with your friends, and if there's any ink left in your pen, write a review. For more content, follow the fun on Instagram by following at W-I-D-P-O-D. That spells WIDPOD. Super cool. It stands for Write It Down Podcast, but it's abbreviated to WIDPOD. Anyways, thanks for listening, and we will catch you later.